For the culture. Ownership is an especially complicated matter for people of the African diaspora. From our ancestors being stolen and once owned as property, to our need to have things so that we feel in control of something in our lives, Black people have a different, deeper relationship with our belongings. Additionally, our communities are still grappling with generational implications and inequities resulting from slavery, Jim Crow, redlining, and other state-sanctioned limitations on ownership. Without a doubt, our familial and collective histories continue to influence why we are so attached to our things. Black people and other marginalized groups must understand the powerful connection between the psychology of ownership and the false sense of security it often provides. Our desire to seek comfort in things is heightened when we live in a society where we constantly feel unsafe, at risk. Take special note of areas in your life where your attachments to and unwillingness to let go of certain things may be rooted less in the culture of consumerism and more in the culture of white supremacy. Although making such acknowledgments can be painful and even difficult, this work is necessary, not only for your minimalist practice, but also for your survival and that of our communities. If our resources are used to purchase things for comfort instead of building generational wealth, we run the risk of not only remaining victims of systemic oppression, but even worse, contributing to it. Good morning and welcome to Black Book Talk. You've been listening to author Christine Platt reading from her book, The Afro-Minimalist Guide to Living with Less. Christine, welcome to Black Book Talk. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I'm Patricia Welch, Librarian Emeritus, and with me this morning is co-host, Emma. I'm Jackson Ford, bookwoman. Welcome. Okay. Joining you. us later this morning will be O.B. Hill of um, Read, Walk, and Talk. Okay, okay. I am, I, I've been interested in the whole minimalism, minimalist movement, but I want to know what is Afro-minimalism as opposed to just Plain old minimalism. Plain old minimalism. Yeah. You know, Afro-minimalism uh, came to me after I tried to be a plain old minimalist, which means I tried to mirror a lot of the images and, thought, you know, things that I saw on Pinterest that were very simplistic, very neutral color palettes, very um, barren and boring. Um, but I thought that was the only way that you could be a minimalist. And so... I tried it and I hated it. And I said, well, I'm gonna have to be the Afro minimalist because I need color, I need fabric, I need texture, I need mud cloth, I need elements and, and uh, you know, mementos and just things that remind me of the beauty and complexity of African-American history and culture. Um, and that's how Afro minimalists got started and that's what Afro-minimalist means and turns out a whole bunch of people don't like living in barren colorless environments. <laughs> nope. You can see, well, you can't see, but ladies and gentlemen, there's this beautiful quilt behind me and it's full of color and life and vibrance. I hear yeah. you. And you can't <laughs> see, but there's a, a beautiful uh, 
uh, piece of artwork by artist Charles Bibbs behind me. And I think, you know, that is symbolic and important to me as a minimalist. And that's how that's how this work really kind of began, which which was challenging this notion of traditional mainstream minimalism that seems to be focused so much on, you know, the aesthetics of minimalism and really getting into the practice, which is, you know, living with less, living with only those things that you really need, use and love. You know, so that's how this kind of all got started. So how do I get from being a person who buys stuff all the time Mm -hmm. to a person who knows how to have discernment and only buys what they need? How do I get there? Yeah, you know, that's one of the reasons that I wrote this book. You know, I, when I started on my journey, I had the same question, like, how do I do it? Can someone just tell me what to do? Right. But again, everything was so focused on the number of items that you had and the color and only two things in this room. And you could only have one fork, one knife and one spoon. I was just like, this is too much. And so it was me going through this process of really trial and error with my own journey that allowed me to like come up with a holistic process to get people to understand why we acquire the things that we do, why we're attached to some of the things that we have, and why it's so hard to let go. And so much of this is really rooted in the psychology of ownership, which is why I read that passage. The psychology of ownership, we all have unique psychologies, right? Things that motivate us, things that remind us of home and bring us comfort, things that are rooted in our self-identity. And we form attachments to these things. And interestingly enough, I learned more about the psychology of, uh, of, of ownership looking at advertising materials than I did looking in psychology journals. So, you know, I started my search there. I'm like, oh, surely they're going to tell me everything. But everything kept leading me back to businesses and advertising because they are very much aware of of the psychology of ownership. And it's why they ask us to try on things and touch things, right? One of the things, Emma, that I learned that you may find very surprising is that those feelings of ownership, our attachment to things start the minute we touch something. The minute we touch something, that's when partial ownership begins. And so what we tend to want to do then is want to exercise full ownership. So one of the first things I had to do was learn to stop touching stuff. You know, I'm in Target just... (laughs) (laughs) looking at things and picking them up. Oh, this is cute. You know, and this is how you end up with a cart full of stuff. And I'm not just singling out Target. You know, this could happen anywhere. And we, we see it all the time with kids. You know, you can give them a roll of toilet tissue to play with. And you go to take it back five minutes later and they're like, it's mine, it's mine. You know, that is the psychology of ownership and action. Um, and that that is how attachments can form very quickly. Sometimes it's just the mere act of touching an, an item that can trigger a feeling of ownership. Christine, if you wouldn't mind, I want to just go back. I mean, people, everybody's not a minimalist, 
there are hard as it is to believe people who have not even heard about this movement. But I want to know what was it about it that that brought you to it? What was your journey to becoming aware of, interested in, and then a practitioner of minimalism? Yeah. So if you could tell yeah. us a little bit about because people like to know that personal thing. I want to know how does one go from I love the shop to no, 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 don't really need that. Let's walk on. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, you know, I I came to this practice really just feeling overwhelmed by the amount of things that I owned. There was just always something to clean, always something to organize, always something to do. I was always buying a basket to hide something. I was always buying a bin <laughs> to store isn't something. That the American, isn't that the American dream? It is not. More, more, it is more, not. More. It is not. It is part of the American problem, I would like to, uh, you know, argue. I don't know if you're aware of the statistics, but the average American household has over 300,000 uh, items, over 300,000 items, and that's for a family of two, right? Um, and so I was just in a space where I just was feeling overwhelmed and I just wanted to live more simply. And when I went to do a search, uh, the thing that kept coming up over and over was minimalism, minimalism, minimalism was supposed to give me this life of simplicity and ease. And so I said, well, I guess I'm going to try to be a minimalist, you know, and I don't know what made me think I could do it in a weekend, probably watching something on HGTV or something uh, and quickly realized oh, this is a journey. This is this is going to take a good minute from me to really get through some of this stuff. And I think, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, Cause I have met people who said, you know what? I tried to be a minimalist. I really tried this and I got rid of stuff. And I, next thing I knew there was more stuff back in the house, right? And I think it was, you know, me realizing that it was so much deeper than things, right? There's, there's so much deeper than this process of let me just get a garbage bag and fill it up with stuff and get rid of it because you're not getting to the root of the problem, which is why are you spending, right? Why, it, why, why do you turn to shopping as opposed to working out or going for a walk when you're stressed? And you know, so I decided to delve deeper into the practice of minimalism as opposed to the aesthetics of minimalism, right? And so really that first step is not getting the garbage bag. That first step is figuring out why do you have more than you need? And I think, you know, that's a, a much more complicated question for Black folks, people of the African diaspora, brown folks, marginalized communities, right? For a lot of people, yes, it starts in childhood. For almost all of us, it starts in childhood. But, you know, Black folks, we have some other things to consider. We have to think about things generationally. We have to think about things historically, right? We have to think about conspicuous consumption, which we grew up knowing as keeping up with the Joneses, right? Like there are a lot of different things that are contributing to that why you have more than you need. And I think until we get to our own unique psychologies of ownership surrounding that, you know, the pressures of 
cultural expectations. There's all these things. Unless we get to that root cause of it, yeah, you you can't do it. And I should also say this, you know, I called myself the Afro-minimalist because I started out, you know, trying to be a minimalist. But it really is less about becoming a minimalist and more about just becoming a conscious consumer, just being more a more mindful consumer. So I hear people all the time. They're like, oh, I can't be a minimalist. I'm like, so don't be a minimalist then. But can you live with less? Right. Can you be more mindful and intentional about what you buy and what you welcome into your life? And that's something that we all that we all can do and that we all should be doing. I like that. I like how you set up the book. I love that you use other people's stories to emphasize or shine a light on a problem. I especially like, I think her name was Charisma. Yes, one of my dear friends. (laughs) Would you uh, speak a little bit about that? Sure. Let me see if I can uh, come across Charisma's story, because I I think it's a story of, of so many um so many folks right uh and that when we talk about it starting in childhood you know that's a that's a real a real part of that charisma is a dear friend of mine we grew up together in south florida and we are first gen pretty much first gen everything and i'm going to see if i can find her story in here i'm flipping through the pages rather quickly uh here we her go her story her story oh, is okay. one that hit home because she talked about the dishes and yep. so many of us have china closets with um, yeah. china cabinets with these dishes that me, we rarely use yeah let me read her story so it says growing up i love looking at the china cabinet in our dining room The dishes were so elegant, so pretty, but I could only look at them through the glass because no one could touch them, let alone use them. And when I say no one, no one, not even when my mother had dinners for her most esteemed guest, did this china ever come out of the cabinet. I remember wanting to eat off those plates so badly as a child. There was something about them being untouchable that let me know they were special. I kept waiting for me or one of my siblings to do something worthy enough, something spectacular enough to warrant my mother opening the glass and pulling out the fine china so we could celebrate by eating off those fancy dishes. Award-winning games, high school graduations followed by college graduations, marriages, the births of grandchildren, and here I am now in my 40s, and I realize there is no accomplishment great enough that will ever warrant us actually using those plates. Did she look at the psychological reasons behind why that was and and how did they get past it? Uh, She did, you know, she, and I I don't want to, you know, put her family's business out here in on on the airwaves and in the streets, but, you know, having conversations with her mother, Again, it goes back to childhood, right? And one of it's one of the reasons why the thing I also talk about in the book is that generational aspect that we all have to consider. Depending on your age, 
your parents were uh, either born during the Great Depression or shortly after. Um, and as a result of that, you may have been raised in a family of hoarders or a family of folks that would let every dollar go the minute they got it in their hands because they remembered what it was like growing up in a household with families that had struggled during that time, right? And so I think for most people thinking about why they buy the way and consume the way they do, if they hoard, why they hoard the way they do, if they could care less about things, <laughs> why, why they care less about things than most folks, so much of it is rooted in our childhood and what we were shown, what we were taught, what we witnessed growing up, and not just in, in our own households, but also in our own communities as well, right? Many of us were nurtured by a village, and um, depending on, on what we were told and, and what we were shown and the adages that were passed down to us, you know, a, one that I include in the book is that, you know, live for today because tomorrow isn't promised, right? We were, you know, there are things that are ingrained and woven into our 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 psychology that, you know, we have to, at our, at our good old age, start to challenge and dismantle and say, where does this come from? And is it still applicable and beneficial to me today, right? Like that whole live for today, tomorrow ain't promised is from the Jim Crow era, right? And that was a very, very true statement. It, it came from this era of you literally did not know if you would see tomorrow. And now what we know is we are, are living longer. We are, you know, even though there are still a lot of systemic challenges and in, injustices, you know, we have to start thinking about our future in a very different way, right? And so there are just, just little things like that that collectively make a big impact on, on understanding why we spend and, and consume the way we do. The process of figuring out what to get rid of was very interesting to me. How do you, seems like I remember you saying, okay, I have 17 pairs of pants, I only wear two. So, so now what do they decide is how do I get rid of this extra uh, 15 pair or else maybe yeah and so that I'll have enough but where do you take them to yeah you know well I should say because because again um, as Patricia said not everyone is familiar with minimalism and and certainly not everyone is familiar with afro minimalism in this process that I put together you know Obi after realizing and going through a lot of trial and error because there wasn't a lot of prescriptive guidance online about how to holistically let go of things. I came up with the four-step process. And step one of that process is to acknowledge that you have too many things, right? And that acknowledgement is more, I think we all can like walk in our house, look in our closets and be like, oh, ooh, hot child, I got too much, right? Like that acknowledgement process is a little deeper than that. That's where I got to counting uh, things because I really, 
I knew I had a lot of genes, but I didn't realize how many genes, right? And you start counting, you're like, why do I have 50 pairs of jeans and I wear the same two, right? And that acknowledgement, when you really start to acknowledge how much stuff you have, it inevitably leads to a, a variety of emotions that arise, right? You become angry thinking about how much money you wasted. You become you know, frustrated thinking about how am I going to get rid of all this stuff? You become sad. You know, there were moments that I just cried. Like I, I found so many things with the, the sales tags still on them. And it was just overwhelming. And that's what led to, to step two, which is forgiveness, right? I had to forgive myself. And I also had to forgive. We were talking about like our ancestors and our communities, I had to forgive anyone who knowingly or unknowingly contributed to my spending habits and behaviors, right? Because as long as I was sitting with those emotions, as long as I was feeling all that stuff, uh, I couldn't move forward with the letting go. Like I'm literally just sitting in a room with all my stuff around me, crying and feeling sorry for myself. (laughs) And I just had to forgive myself, you know, to move forward. And that's what led to step three, which is the letting go, right? And that letting go, the formula that I that I used uh, to come up with that is called need, use, love, right? I had to ask myself, do you need it? Will you use it? And do you love it? And those three considerations, they're not three individual considerations. It's all one consideration because usually we love something but we don't need it or use it, right? Or we might use something, but we don't really love it and we don't really need it. You know, like we just use it because it's there. Um, And so that's what led me to sort of have this keep pile and a let go donate pile. And then step four, uh, Obi, to answer your question, is that pay it forward. What do you do with the stuff? You know, I have a a background in, in energy and environmental law, And so very much aware and concerned about the state of our planet and climate change as we all should be. And, you know, oftentimes we think, oh, you know, let me just take it to Goodwill, you know, or let me just, I'll just take it to the landfill, you know, like those things are not really helpful, um, certainly not helpful to our environment, but also not helpful because there are people who, who can use those things that we no longer need, use, and love. And so I really encourage people to look at organizations in their in their communities and, and, and start there first, right? Like there are buy nothing groups, there are churches, there are there are, you know, there are halfway houses and family, um, you know, transitional houses and places for young people, right? Like there are so many places that are actually in need of these things rather than sending them to the usual suspects, which I, that's what I call Goodwill and the Salvation Army, because we just think, oh, they need it, you know? And yeah, you know, and so that's, that's where, that's where that comes from. And so, yeah, I hope that answers your question, Obi. We're drawing to a close. Sometimes it's great to have a 30 minute show, but some days you really need an hour, but <laughs> We have about three minutes left. Does anybody else have like a burning question that you want to get in the last three minutes? 
Emma OB or Christine, is there anything that you're, oh, I'm sorry, OB, I feel well, like This I'm... isn't a question. I thought this was one of the funniest books that I've read <laughs> in a long time because you, <laughs> you see yourself in it and you wasn't even aware of it, but that's, <laughs> thank you. You are so welcome. I get that a lot, especially with the audiobook, y'all, because I read the audiobook and people are like, man, just to hear you stepping on my toes. It's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, I can. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that that you saw yourself and, you know, I wrote it uh, remembering myself very much in, in that space. And I, I know that, you know, we, we can all get to the other side if we if we commit to the journey. I'm going to let go of the belts that I've had about 50 years that I'm never going to be able to wear again anyway. And I know I was slimmer then, so I need to let it go. <laughs> Obi, what, you, what are you going to let go? That's a great way for us to close out. Let me hear what, what uh, Obi and, and Emma are going to let go. Maybe some of those dishes. Oh, Emma got some dishes to let go. Okay. I was looking at the china closet. Looking at all the shelves I have with uh, soup dishes, um, little little dishes that I just thought were so cute when I was shopping. Oh, those little cute things. I know. I had so many of those. Those little ramekins. And then mm -hmm. I send them to my sisters, too. So I'm also <laughs> making other people have too much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Obi? What you, what you going to let go of? Well... I started rearranging my books mm. and I said, I said, I can't let them go. And then I looked over at the shelf and I saw my mother's Bible. I said, well, I, I can't minimize nope. with this. Nope. I should have also said with Afro minimalism, books and plants don't count. You just can't have. <laughs> I'm not letting go of a book unless I have, I find a double copy, which actually has happened. I found two copies of Cane River. I'm like, at some yeah. point, I don't know. You know, that's different. Books and plants don't count, y'all. But all that other stuff, let it go. All if right. you don't you know need something? it, if it no longer serves you. You're going to have to come back because I will. this is not the only book you have written. It is not the only book. Just not. tell us the name of your new book before we close out. Just, just the yes. title. Yes. Rebecca, not Becky. And it is coming December 5th from Amistad Books and really excited about it. Then we are going to invite you back into all our listeners. Okay. Holiday season's coming in. You know, it's the time when some of us are, we just, we, we buy to excess. This is your heads up. Get this book. Think about it. Think about what you're going to give up and what you're not going to return. Uh, have a happy holiday. Christine Platt, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for your book, The Afro Minimalist Guide to Living with Less. Good you greetings, are so everybody. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, y'all. Bye. Thank you.